Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. It is with great pleasure that I am able to announce that Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has given permission for this book to be read out loud and shared on Stories Come to Life until June 30th, 2024. But of course, the episodes that fall under that special permission will all be taken down on that date, so listen now while they're available. Somehow, Nancy Drew just can't seem to avoid becoming involved in a thrilling mystery. With the puzzling disappearance of the Crandall jewels on her mind, Nancy is determined to help her friend regain her inheritance. But unlike other mysteries, this situation seems to have sprouted into an overabundance of clues, any one of which could lead to some sort of resolution. Finally, in an attempt to give her mind a rest from the confusing situation, Nancy goes shopping and finds yet another strange piece that may or may not fit into the mysterious events at Lilac Inn. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Nancy Drew and the Mystery at Lilac Inn Chapter 6 Accusations By this time, a number of the diners, attracted by the strange actions and excited voices of the two women, had crowded about them. The manager came hurrying up to inquire what the trouble was. "'My handbag!' Mrs. Willoughby wailed. "'Someone has taken it!' "'Oh, there must be a mistake!' the manager assured her. There is no mistake. I left it on the table when I ran to the window at the sound of the crash. I couldn't have had my back turned for more than a minute. When I rushed back to the table, my handbag was gone. This is very serious, madam. Are you certain you did not have the bag in your hand when you left the table? Miserably, Mrs. Willoughby shook her head. I'm sure I didn't. "'Someone must have stolen it,' Mrs. Potter interposed. "'That's the only explanation.' "'I'll never leave this place until I get my handbag back,' Mrs. Willoughby screamed hysterically. "'I'll have everyone searched!' "'Just a minute, please,' the cool voice of the manager interposed. "'Let me get this straight. How much do you claim that you lost?' "'Claim!' Mrs. Willoughby cried angrily. Do you mean to insinuate that my handbag wasn't stolen? I am not insinuating anything. I am merely trying to get at the bottom of the matter. How much did you have in your purse? Not a cent in money, but I had a fortune in jewels. Forty thousand dollars worth of jewels, mostly diamonds, and they didn't belong to me. There was a surprised chorus of ohs from many of those who had gathered about, and at once the diners began to search the floor 
and nearby tables. No trace of the handbag was found. I regret that such a thing has happened in my tea room, the manager said with a troubled frown. But of course it was very unwise of you to bring such an amount into the dining room. We do provide a safe for our customers' valuables. Since you did not choose to make use of it, the management is in no way responsible for your loss. However, I will do everything in my power to help you recover the jewels. They were stolen by someone in this room, Mrs. Willoughby cried excitedly. I insist that every person be searched. The manager hesitated, for she felt that such a procedure might arouse the ire of her customers, especially those who were socially prominent. I, for one, am willing to submit to a search, a feminine guest declared quickly. Others expressed their willingness to subject themselves to the ordeal. Of all the guests, only two women insisted that the search would be an indignity. One of these, the dark woman who had attracted the attention of Mrs. Willoughby and Mrs. Potter some time before, tried to slip out of the door. Don't let her go, Mrs. Potter cried. She must be searched with the others. I have nothing to conceal, the woman retorted with a show of hauteur. We'll see about that, Mrs. Willoughby snapped. You'll see yourself if you persist in this indignity, exclaimed the woman a spot of scarlet flaming into each cheek. "'Perhaps it will be best for you to submit to the search,' the manager suggested in a conciliatory voice. "'If you ladies will step into the adjoining cloakroom one by one, I will make the search myself.' Again the black-eyed woman began to protest angrily, but her companion, who had been the only other person to object to the search, said a few words in an undertone, and the enraged woman closed her mouth in a grim line and said no more. While Mrs. Willoughby and her friend waited anxiously in the dining room, the search was conducted. Within fifteen minutes, the clothing of every guest had been examined, including that of the woman who had attempted to escape from the inn. The manager shook her head regretfully as she returned to Mrs. Willoughby. I did not find the jewels. Then some of the help must have taken it. I can vouch for every person in my employ. I demand the highest references. Well, someone took it. It couldn't have walked off by itself. I saw one of the waiters looking at it, and when he brought the salad... Jennings has been in my employ for six years, the manager said quietly. But if it will rest your mind on that score, I am certain he will submit to a search. Certainly. The waiter stepped forward, bestowing a not-too-kindly glance upon the two women. One of the men in the room offered to conduct the search. In very few minutes he returned, but without the handbag. "'The kitchen help must be brought in,' Mrs. Willoughby insisted. "'Really, this is going a trifle too far,' the manager said impatiently. "'As I told you, I can vouch for all my help.' And, of course, the kitchen girls never enter this room. It is ridiculous to think that one of them could have taken your bag. Someone took it? Are you certain that you had the handbag when you came into the dining room? This came in a drawling voice from one of the women who had been searched. Am I certain? 
Mrs. Willoughby screamed as she sprang up from the chair into which she had dropped in exhaustion. Of course I am! Until this moment, Mrs. Willoughby had controlled herself fairly well, but the realization that people were beginning to doubt her own honesty entirely unnerved her. She began to pace the floor, wringing her hands. Oh, what shall I do? What shall I do? I'll never be able to face Emily. Try to calm yourself, the manager begged. I can't be calm. I've lost poor Emily's fortune. Oh, oh, I wish I were dead. Jane, Jane, Mrs. Potter pleaded. Mrs. Willoughby paid not the slightest heed to her friend, but suddenly wheeled upon the staring guests. Is anyone missing who was here when the accident occurred? she demanded. A checkup was hastily made, and it was found that two persons were missing. They're probably at the crossroads helping those poor autoists, the manager suggested. Mrs. Willoughby, becoming more excited every moment, appeared not to have heard. One of them must have snatched my purse and run away with it, she screamed. Oh, help me catch the thief! She rushed toward the door, but before she reached it, she gave a low moan of pain and clutched at a table. She would have fallen to the floor had not Mrs. Potter caught her in her arms. It's her heart, Mrs. Potter cried. The excitement has been too much for her. Oh, she's fainted! Willing hands aided Mrs. Potter in stretching the limp figure out upon a couch. Someone brought a pitcher of water. A damp cloth was pressed against Mrs. Willoughby's forehead, and her hands were chafed. After a few minutes, she began to revive. What will Emily say when I tell her? She moaned over and over. The bystanders murmured, some sympathetically, some skeptically. She will be all right in a few minutes, Mrs. Potter said. She's had trouble with her heart before, poor thing. I don't wonder that she fainted. As soon as Mrs. Willoughby was able to sit up, the manager suggested that she be removed to another room. No, I feel better now, Mrs. Willoughby said weakly. I can walk to the automobile. In spite of the protests of those who had attended her, she insisted upon departing. Leaning heavily upon Mrs. Potter's arm, she moved slowly toward the door. I'm sure we'll find the handbag for you, the manager said kindly. Mrs. Willoughby shook her head. I'm convinced that someone snatched it and ran away. I'll probably never see the jewels again. Oh, my poor little Emily, how can I tell her? Chapter 7 Damaging Rumors Ho oh, hum, but I'm tired tonight. Hard day at the office. Carson Drew dropped his hat on the living room table and sank wearily on the Davenport. By the way, Nancy, I suppose you've heard the bad news by this time. What news? Nancy demanded anxiously. Don't dare tell me that Judge Graham isn't coming after all the trouble I've had in getting a satisfactory housekeeper. Oh, Judge Graham will get here all right. I was referring to the news about your little friend, Emily Crandall. Emily? Why, I saw her only this afternoon. But you didn't see the Crandall jewels. Why, no. Her guardian was to deliver them later in the day. 
Read this. Mr. Drew spread out the front page of the evening paper before his daughter's startled eyes. The Crandall jewels! Stolen! Nancy gasped. Oh, how dreadful! I can't say that it surprises me much, Mr. Drew commented dryly. Mrs. Willoughby didn't appear to have used an ounce of sense. She invited trouble by carrying $40,000 worth of diamonds, unguarded. What a blow this will be to Emily, Dad. Why, she has counted on her inheritance for everything. Now she won't be able to help Dick. It's a shame, all right, Mr. Drew agreed. Surely she won't lose her entire inheritance, Father. The jewels were never turned over to her. Couldn't Mrs. Willoughby be held responsible? That's a legal question, Nancy. But the loss was due to her carelessness. Apparently so. But the court would demand absolute proof. Emily would have to bring suit against her guardian. I suppose she'd never do that, Nancy said thoughtfully. Emily told me that she is fond of her guardian. Moreover, it's very doubtful that she could collect a cent, even if she did bring suit. If she won the case, I don't see that she would gain very much. Why, I thought Mrs. Willoughby had a great deal of money. She did at one time, but I've been told that most of it has slipped through her fingers. Mrs. Willoughby has lived a bit high, Nancy. She likes to move in fashionable society and associate with expensive friends. Mrs. Potter, for instance. Yes. While her husband was alive, Mrs. Willoughby never had to think about money matters. Unfortunately, she is not a good businesswoman. Are you certain she is in straitened circumstances? Nancy inquired anxiously. I am sure of it. I was told that only last week she applied at the bank for a loan of $5,000 and was refused. What an unfortunate time for her to lose Emily's inheritance, Nancy said significantly. Yes, it's beginning to look bad for her. Rumors are circulating even now. What are people saying? It's being hinted that Mrs. Willoughby had designs on Emily's fortune herself. But she was always so kind to Emily. I know. Mind, I'm telling you only what others are saying. What do you believe? My dear child, and Mr. Drew smiled, I wouldn't venture an opinion. I always reserve judgment until I have all of the facts. Nancy glanced thoughtfully at the account in the paper. It says here that she fainted when she learned that the bag had been stolen. That looks as though she felt the loss most keenly. Unless she was acting. You don't think that the robbery was a frame-up, do you? Nancy asked in astonishment. You're a regular detective when it comes to pinning a fellow down, Mr. Drew complained good-naturedly. I'm merely considering the possibility. As I understand it, Mrs. Willoughby had access to the safety deposit box containing the jewels. It would not have been very difficult for her to have pawned them weeks ago. Perhaps substituting paste. Then the little scene at Lilac Inn could have been staged. But this account says that Mrs. Willoughby actually carried a handbag into the inn, Nancy reminded her father. Several persons noticed it. It, it was conspicuous. And how uneasily she acted. 
There is no question that the purse mysteriously disappeared. But what became of it? That's what the police would like to know, Mr. Drew replied. Of course, if Mrs. Willoughby had been staging the whole scene, it might have been possible for her to have stashed the purse somewhere. Or Mrs. Potter may have taken it. That's another angle to consider, all right. The paper says she wasn't searched. It's a baffling mystery, Nancy. Perhaps you'd better take a hand in it. Don't make fun of me, Dad. I'm not. I have great respect for your ability in tracking down a mystery. In fact, once or twice, you've rather shown up your old dad. You know I haven't, Nancy protested, highly pleased. But there is something about this mystery that catches my interest. And, of course, I'd give anything to help Emily Crandall regain her inheritance. Unless I miss my guess, this Crandall affair will prove more baffling than any other case you ever attacked. You might try your teeth on it. Nancy Drew's eyes began to sparkle, but she shook her head. I wouldn't think of interfering. That is, unless Emily asked me to. Well, perhaps it's just as well that you shouldn't get mixed up in it. This isn't an ordinary robbery. Haven't the police any real clue? They're inclined to suspect Mrs. Willoughby. The police have been known to blunder. Yes, but sometimes, too, they are right, and this time they might not be too far off the track. At least Mrs. Willoughby will bear watching. I wouldn't enjoy being in her shoes. Nor would I. I met her a number of months ago, but I haven't a very vivid recollection of what she's like. A charming woman in appearance, at least. However, you can't tell to what lengths a person will go when in desperate need of money. Emily will be crushed if she learns that her guardian is suspected. I have a notion to run out to the cottage and see her. Why don't you? I imagine she's all broken up over the loss of the jewels. Nancy glanced at her watch. It's getting late. Still, it won't be dark for at least an hour. I'll do it. Hurrying to her room, she snatched up her hat and came clattering down the stairs two at a time. Goodbye, Dad, she called as she started toward the back door. I won't be gone long. Mr. Drew did not reply, for just at that moment there was a step on the veranda. Nancy paused and glanced questioningly toward her father. I'll wait and see who it is, she decided. It may be someone for me. The doorbell rang sharply, but before Nancy could retrace her steps, the housekeeper opened the door. There was a murmur of voices in the outside hall, and then Mrs. Carter appeared with a small calling card, which she handed to Mr. Drew. She says it's very important that she see you tonight, the housekeeper reported. Mr. Drew glanced carelessly at the card, and then his eyebrows lifted slightly. He turned to Nancy with a peculiar expression. It's Mrs. Willoughby, he said quietly. I wonder what she wants of me. Perhaps I'd better leave the room, Nancy suggested. Mrs. Willoughby may wish to talk with you privately. Stay if you like and hear what she has to say, Mr. Drew responded. You're as much in the case as I am. He turned to the housekeeper, who was awaiting his decision. Kindly ask Mrs. Willoughby to come in. 
Chapter 8 Mrs. Willoughby's Call The housekeeper vanished at Mr. Drew's words to reappear almost at once, followed by the elegant Mrs. Willoughby. Mr. Drew arose and politely offered her a chair. Mrs. Carter discreetly withdrew. Oh, Mr. Drew, I'm in such trouble. The visitor stopped short as she noticed Nancy for the first time. Don't mind, my daughter. Anything that you may say will be held in strict confidence. Nancy is a close friend of your ward's, and will help you if she can. Then you've already heard? The lawyer indicated the evening paper. I read the account in the paper. Were the details correct? In the main, Mrs. Willoughby admitted reluctantly. Oh, it is dreadful. Emily is heartbroken. Nancy, who was studying the woman closely, tried to make up her mind whether or not she was pretending. Either she was an excellent actress or genuinely agitated. Mr. Drew, you must help me. Mrs. Willoughby went on. I feel my position keenly. Even the police are blaming me. It's so unjust. Has your ward accused you? Oh, no. Emily wouldn't think of doing that. She's been wonderful. But the loss of the jewels will leave her destitute. I can't bear to think that I am the cause of it all. Mrs. Willoughby began to sob into her handkerchief. Mr. Drew glanced quickly at his daughter, and Nancy gave an emphatic nod of her head, as much as to say that she would like to probe more deeply into the case, and wanted her father to help her. "'There, there, Mrs. Willoughby,' he said kindly. "'Don't take on so. I'll do anything in my power to aid you.' "'Oh, you will? Oh, I'm so relieved!' The woman ceased crying, and actually smiled. "'I know everything will be all right now.' "'I'm not certain that I can recover the jewels for you,' Mr. Drew pointed out, "'so you mustn't build up your hopes too soon. "'The case will be a very difficult one.' Mrs. Willoughby's face clouded again. "'I—I didn't ask about your fee,' she stammered. "'I'm afraid that I must tell you that I haven't a great deal of money at present.' "'I assure you my fee will be very reasonable. "'And now perhaps you will answer a few questions concerning the robbery.' Anything. Have you any theory as to what became of the handbag? Oh, yes, I'm sure it was snatched by one of the inn guests at the time of that frightful automobile accident. When we checked up later, two of the guests were missing. Are you certain that they had not gone to help at the scene of the wreck? Well, at the time of the crash, a number of persons ran out of the inn. After the victims had been rushed to the hospital... All came back except these two. Do you know who they were? No. Mrs. Potter and I hurried to the crossroads just as soon as I was able to walk. I fainted, you know. There wasn't any sign of anyone near the wreck. Perhaps the two who left the inn took the victims to the hospital, Mr. Drew suggested. That's so. I hadn't thought of that. In that event, their hasty leave-taking would be perfectly natural. Of course, one of the persons might have snatched your purse and used the accident as a pretext to get away. That's what I thought, Mrs. Willoughby said eagerly. The clue will bear investigation, Mr. Drew continued, but I am inclined to believe it will not lead to anything. 
After all, it may have been the waiter. I was suspicious of him from the moment I stepped into the inn. He kept looking at my handbag. I understand he submitted to a search. Yes, I insisted upon it. The jewels weren't found upon his person, but he might have hidden them. I see by the paper that the handbag was rather larger than those usually carried and was highly ornamented. Yes, I knew I should need a large bag for those jewels. Still, it was not so large that it could not be stolen and concealed. Do you recall whether the waiter left the dining room during the confusion? I really can't say, Mrs. Willoughby confessed. I was so terribly excited myself. Could this waiter have known that you were carrying valuables in your purse? He might have heard Mrs. Potter and me talking about it. You were speaking loudly? Oh, no. We scarcely raised our voices above a whisper. I see. Mr. Drew thoughtfully tapped a pencil against the arm of his chair. After a moment, he studied Mrs. Willoughby again. Tell me, were all of the guests searched? Yes. Two women protested, but finally gave in. How about Mrs. Potter? Mrs. Potter? I don't understand. Was your friend searched with the others? Certainly not, Mrs. Willoughby returned a trifle tartly. It would have been insulting for me to have requested it. You feel, then, that she is trustworthy? Absolutely. How long have you known her? Oh, a year at least. Hmm, the lawyer mused. Mrs. Willoughby, when you ran to the window, what did Mrs. Potter do? What did she do? Mrs. Willoughby asked a trifle impatiently. Why, I don't remember exactly. She screamed and rushed to the window, too, I believe. Then she was beside you every moment. Well, no, Mrs. Willoughby admitted slowly. We weren't at the same window. Really, I can't see the sense of these questions. Mrs. Potter had nothing to do with the loss of the handbag. Probably not, Mr. Drew agreed soothingly. But I am trying to get to the bottom of the affair. And to do that, I must investigate every clue. Mrs. Potter is my best friend. She would have no reason for stealing the jewels. Seeing that Mrs. Willoughby was becoming agitated again, Mr. Drew decided to terminate the interview. I believe I have nothing more to ask you, he told her. You'll get the jewels back for me. My dear Mrs. Willoughby, I can't make rash promises. As I told you before, the case is complicated. I will do my best to help you though at the present time I am busy with other work. It seems to me that it might be wise for you to turn the affair over to a detective. Mrs. Willoughby shook her head as she arose to leave. No, I've heard a great deal about your work, Mr. Drew, and I want you to take the case. Very well. I will report to you as soon as I learn anything of importance. In the meantime, do not discuss the case with anyone. The lawyer escorted Mrs. Willoughby to the door and waited until she had left the porch before turning to Nancy. Well, little golden locks, what do you think of her? Quite frivolous, but apparently honest, Nancy returned slowly. It's a real mystery, isn't it? Do you really suspect Mrs. Willoughby? No, or I shouldn't have taken the case even for your sake and for Emily's. Still, she is far from being free from suspicion, 
Any one of a number of persons might have stolen the jewels. I'd like to meet Mrs. Potter and hear her version of the robbery, said Nancy slowly. Yes, I must ask her to come to my office tomorrow, Mr. Drew frowned. Hang it all, I have an important conference. I really haven't time for this case. I wish I could take it, Nancy murmured wistfully. Mr. Drew studied his daughter meditatively. Well, why not? I'm afraid it's too complicated for me. Anyway, Emily might feel that I was interfering. If you're still planning on running out to see her, you'd better hurry. It's getting late. I'll go now. Nancy caught up her hat, and with a hurried goodbye, dashed out the back door to the garage. In a few minutes, she was speeding toward the cottage on the lake. I hope Mrs. Willoughby doesn't get there before I do, she thought. I'd rather talk to Emily alone. After a short drive, she came within sight of the cottage, and was relieved to see that a light was shining through the windows. Parking the roadster, she hurried up the path and rapped on the door. Nancy! Emily gasped as she flung open the door to admit her friend. Oh, I'm so glad you came! You've been crying, Nancy observed quietly. I've lost my inheritance, Nancy. Mrs. Willoughby thinks we'll get the jewels back, but I'm sure we won't. I was counting on the money so much. Now I can't help Dick. As Emily spoke, she looked away and tried to keep back the tears. She did not succeed, and when the two girls entered the living room, she flung herself on the couch and burst into fervent tears. Oh, it's too dreadful, Nancy, she sobbed, to have this inheritance come to me and then have it snatched away just when I'd planned to do so much with it. It's the loss of my grandmother's jewels and my not being able to help Dick and having to postpone my marriage all jumbled into one. Nancy waited for a few minutes. Then, as the sobs grew quieter, she said comfortingly, Perhaps the fortune will be recovered. I'm afraid not. It seems to me the police are just going around in circles. By this time, the thief is probably safe in another state. It's too mean for anything, Nancy went on. I wish there was something I could do. Emily glanced up quickly as a thought occurred to her. Why can't you help me? she demanded tensely. You've helped lots of other people. I don't want to interfere. The, the police... Oh, the police! Emily dismissed them with a wave of her hand. You're a wonder when it comes to solving a mystery. Will you help me? Nancy Drew hesitated and then nodded. I'll do my best. Oh, fine! Emily's relief was evident. The jewels are as good as found this minute. Nancy Drew smiled at her friend's returning good spirits. But as she walked down the path a few minutes later, the smile faded from her face. She was eager to help Emily, and pleased at an opportunity to try her teeth on a baffling mystery. But well she knew that she faced the most difficult task of her career. Chapter 9. Nancy Investigates Since I talked with Mrs. Willoughby last evening, I have decided that I can't take her case after all. 
Carson Drew pushed back his empty coffee cup as he addressed his daughter, who sat opposite him at the breakfast table. You can't take it? Why not? I forgot all about a case I have coming up this week. I'll be in court and shan't have time to think of anything else. I must ask Mrs. Willoughby to turn the matter over to another lawyer. Nancy frowned, for this did not suit her plans at all. Why not turn it over to me, Dad? But you said you didn't want to get mixed up in it. I've changed my mind. I talked with Emily Crandall last night, and she wants me to help her if I can. Do you feel that you can handle the affair? It has the earmarks of a baffling mystery. I like them baffling, and Nancy grinned. If I don't have any luck, you can turn the case over to another lawyer. All right, go ahead. Have you any clue? Not a one, Nancy admitted. I thought I would drive over and interview Mrs. Potter. Then I intend to motor to Lilac Inn and talk with the manager. An excellent start. I wish you luck. I'll probably need it. Ten o'clock found Nancy Drew driving toward the home of Mrs. Clara Potter, a trifle uncertainly, for she did not know what sort of reception to expect. She drew up in front of a very large white house and walked toward the veranda. She noticed that the grounds were well kept and saw a gardener working in the flower beds. Mrs. Potter doesn't appear to be poverty-stricken, at least, Nancy told herself. She lifted the door-knocker and presently was admitted by a trim maid. Nancy explained that she wished to see Mrs. Potter, and after a short wait, was admitted to the ladies' sitting-room. Mrs. Potter, languid, in an exquisite lounging robe, was just finishing her breakfast, but she arose at once to greet her caller. Nancy introduced herself, explaining her mission. "'Certainly I'll tell you all I know about the robbery,' Mrs. Potter declared, offering Nancy a seat. I feel very sorry for poor Jane, but I must say she brought disaster upon herself. I warned her that she was unwise to carry those jewels the way she did. Mrs. Potter then gave her account of the robbery, which tallied with the story Mrs. Willoughby had already given out. Did you see Mrs. Willoughby place the handbag on the table? Nancy questioned, when Mrs. Potter had finished her tale. Yes, I did. Did you know that it contained the Crandall jewels? Mrs. Potter hesitated. Well, I didn't actually see the jewels. I went with Jane to the bank, but I remained in an outside room while she entered the vault. I see. Have you any reason to believe that Mrs. Willoughby might not have taken the jewels from the vault? Certainly not. I've been told that Mrs. Willoughby is in rather straitened circumstances, Nancy said, hoping to draw Mrs. Potter out. Yes. Jane has been having trouble with her finances, the other admitted. A few weeks ago, I offered to lend her five hundred dollars. She accepted? Yes, but a few days later she came to me and said that she did not require the money. Nancy felt that this information was valuable and quickly asked another question. Do you know where she secured the money which she evidently needed? I didn't feel it was my concern, Mrs. Potter looked troubled. I hope you don't think that poor Jane planned that robbery herself. I'm merely tracing down a number of clues, Nancy replied simply. I understand that you were the first to discover that the handbag was missing. Yes, Mrs. Potter agreed noncommittally, her expression hardening. 
Have you any theory as to what became of it? No. It was evident to Nancy that Mrs. Potter was no longer willing to answer her questions. So after a little, she said goodbye and left the house. I wonder if she was trying to hide something, Nancy drew mused as she drove toward Lilac Inn. She certainly closed up quickly enough when I started to question her about her own actions. She was still considering Mrs. Potter's apparent unwillingness to answer personal questions when she reached Lilac Inn. As it was early in the morning, she found the place deserted of guests and had no difficulty in finding the manager. Certainly I'll be very glad to answer any of your questions, the woman agreed readily, after Nancy had explained who she was. Step into my office where we shall be undisturbed. Thank you, Nancy returned pleasantly, but if you don't mind, I would like to see the table where Mrs. Willoughby sat. Why, of course, right this way. She sat at this table by the window. Nancy glanced at the table and then stepped to the window and looked out upon the rear veranda. As I understand it, Mrs. Willoughby ran to the window on the opposite side of the room when the crash came, the manager explained. From where she sat, it was impossible to see the crossroads. And during the brief time that her back was turned, the handbag disappeared? So Mrs. Willoughby claims. Do you doubt her story, then? Nancy demanded quickly. I can't really say, the manager evaded. After the accident took place, I rushed outside with a number of the others. When I returned, I learned that the purse had disappeared. I have been told that two of the guests failed to return to the dining room after the accident. I took it upon myself to investigate that angle, Miss Drew. I called the Mercy Hospital this morning and learned that the victims of the automobile accident were brought there by two persons who had been dining here. Then you discredit Mrs. Willoughby's theory that her purse was snatched by one of the guests? Yes, I do. Nancy Drew accepted this for what it was worth, making ample allowance for the fact that the manager undoubtedly was bent on preserving the reputation of Lilac Inn. She determined that she would not drop this clue without a little investigation of her own. How about your help? she inquired, starting out on a new line. Are you sure that everyone in your employ is honest? Yes, I am very particular. The handbag could not have been taken by anyone who works at the inn. How many waiters were in the dining room at the time when Mrs. Willoughby discovered her loss? I employ fifteen waiters. Eight or nine were in the room, I should judge. Were they all searched? No, only Jennings. He served Mrs. Willoughby. Why were the others not searched? I did not deem it necessary. They were occupied at tables in other parts of the room and could not have snatched the purse without being detected. May I talk with Jennings, please? Certainly, but it will only be a waste of time. He had nothing to do with the robbery, I am sure. If you please, I think I will ask him a few questions. I'll call him. The manager stepped to the kitchen door. Presently she returned, followed by Jennings. He was tall, precise in gait, and a trifle sullen in appearance. He regarded Nancy Drew with obvious misgiving. Jennings, the girl began quietly, 
Where were you at the time of the automobile accident? I was on my way to the kitchen with a tray of dishes, miss. Someone let out a scream. I set the tray on a table and ran to the door to see what had happened. On your way to the door? Did you pass Mrs. Willoughby's table? No, miss. At any time, did you notice Mrs. Willoughby's purse? The waiter hesitated before answering this question, and Nancy regarded him sharply. I saw it when I was serving her. And at the time of the alarm? I did not look that way. Well, I believe that will be all. No, I have one more question. What do you think became of the handbag? I couldn't say rightly, miss. I only know that I didn't like the looks of that woman with Mrs. Willoughby. She was a queer one. Queer? In what way? The waiter shrugged his shoulders. I can't rightly say. It was just a feeling I had. Now if you've finished with me, I'll go back to my work. Nancy nodded absently, and the waiter departed with alacrity. Do you wish to question any of the others? The manager asked politely. Perhaps it won't be necessary. Have you engaged any new help recently? Indeed I haven't. And the manager smiled. I am looking for another salad girl, but it's a real problem to find the right sort of help. I've almost given up trying. I can sympathize with you there, Nancy laughed. I've been having difficulties of my own. And now I'll not take any more of your time. Thank you for helping me. She said goodbye to the manager and left the inn. Driving back to River Heights, she reviewed the conflicting information which she had secured. After all her work, had she really made any progress toward solving the mystery of the Crandall Jewels? True, she had unearthed a great many clues. But in untangling them, might she not lose her bearings in a hopeless maze of detail? Sorely perplexed and a trifle discouraged, Nancy Drew admitted to herself that the mystery of Lilac Inn was likely to prove even more baffling than she had anticipated. Chapter 10 An Encounter Though Nancy Drew had learned little which shed light on the mystery at Lilac Inn, she had no intention of admitting defeat. On the following day, she again set out in her blue roadster, visiting a number of the guests who had been dining at the inn at the time of the strange jewelry robbery. Few of the persons were able to furnish information which she did not already have. So, on the whole, the day was wasted. The next morning, Nancy telephoned the hospital, and through the officials, learned the names of the two men who had brought in the victims of the automobile accident. Calling upon them, she found nothing to arouse her suspicions. They told a straightforward story, relating that at the time of the crash they had driven to the scene of the accident in their automobile, and when no one seemed to know what to do, had taken it upon themselves to rush the victims to the hospital. Oh dear, Nancy thought, I seem farther than ever from the real solution. I don't know what to do next. Unless I find a genuine clue, I'm afraid I'll have to turn the case back to Dad after all. It was no wonder that when Helen Corning, Nancy's particular chum, dropped in that afternoon to ask her to go shopping, she found her a trifle depressed. You look terribly thoughtful, Nancy, she bantered. What's on your mind? Nothing, Nancy returned gloomily, and that's the whole truth. I suppose by that you mean you're head over heels in another mystery. 
I know the symptoms by this time. You always get thoughtful and crawl into your old clamshell. Why my clamshell? Nancy laughed good-naturedly. Because when you're working on a mystery, a fellow can't get a word out of you. Well, I don't mind telling you this time what I'm working on. <gasps> what? Helen demanded eagerly. The Crandall Jewel Mystery. Oh, I read all about it in the newspapers. Poor Emily. I felt so sorry for her. If a thing like that happened to me, I would never stop talking about my hard luck. Emily doesn't do very much talking. No, she always was the quiet sort. Then I suppose she's trying to shield her guardian. She was devoted to Mrs. Willoughby. Tell me, Nancy, do you think Mrs. Willoughby took the jewels herself? I wish I knew, Helen. I never attempted to solve a more baffling case. Haven't you any clues at all? On the contrary, I have too many of them. Everyone accuses everyone else, and anyone might be guilty. However, I don't intend to give up until I've recovered the jewels. I certainly admire your pluck, Helen said enviously. I wish I had your brains, too. I wish I had the brains you give me the credit for. If I did, I could see my way through the terrible maze I'm in now. You'll uncover something one of these days. I hope so, Nancy frowned. But the time is so short. Dad told me this morning that the police are getting impatient. They haven't learned a thing themselves, have they? Well, they've questioned Mrs. Willoughby closely and have succeeded in frightening her so that she couldn't tell them a straight story to save her life. Dad thinks they will arrest her in a few days if something new doesn't come to light. How terrible all this must be for Emily! She's so sensitive. Yes, and I think she trusts Mrs. Willoughby implicitly. She's sort of depending upon me to straighten everything out. You'll do it, too, Helen returned confidently. Oh, Helen, I'm up against it. To tell you the truth, I haven't the slightest idea who took that jewelry. I've investigated every clue, and I'm just as far from the solution now as I was at the start. You'll find a way out of the tangle, Helen observed. I wonder if I shall. Oh, you're letting this thing get the best of you, Nancy. Why not forget it all for the afternoon and go shopping with me? Your mind may work more clearly after a little recreation. Perhaps you're right. At all events, my mind isn't functioning now at all, so I'll go. Fine. My runabout is outside. Get your hat and come on. Nancy Drew jumped up from the window seat and quickly found her hat. A few minutes later, the girls were driving down the boulevard toward the main part of the city. Helen drove skillfully, and to her elation, she found a parking place just in front of her favorite department store. I have a long list of things I want to buy, Helen informed Nancy, as the two girls entered the store. I'm invited to a weekend party, and I simply haven't a thing to wear. <laughs> the old story, Nancy laughed. Well, I'll just tag along and watch you shop. Aren't you going to buy anything? I'm not in any particular need of a thing right now, but I may see something that I want as we go along. You lead the way. To the glove department, then. Nancy stood quietly by while Helen made her purchase and then accompanied her to the shoe department. After that, they went to the ready-made section 
and then to the millinery department. Are you going to buy out the whole store? Nancy demanded at last. It does look that way, doesn't it? I don't usually go on such an orgy, but this is a special occasion. I'm almost through now. There's only one more place I must go. <laughs> Where is that? And Nancy gave a mock groan. To Heidelberg's for a party dress. Nancy lifted her eyebrows. My goodness, but you're getting extravagant, aren't you? How do your parents manage to keep you? I know Heidelberg's is the most expensive place in town, Helen admitted, but I told you that for this once I'm splurging. It will never happen again, probably. I was only teasing, Nancy laughed. Arm in arm, the two girls left the department store. Just outside the door, they met Emily Crandall. The girl was pale, and deep circles were under her blue eyes, and her face was drawn. Oh, Nancy Drew, I'm glad to run into you, she cried, when she saw the two girls emerge from the store door. Oh, it's just awful, on top of the loss of my jewels, and all that means to me. The police are trying to fasten theft on Mrs. Willoughby. It's too terrible. You will do something, won't you, Nancy? Nancy promised again to do what she could. She tried to be encouraging, but she felt that her words hardly rang true. Then Emily said goodbye, and Nancy and Helen made their way down the street to the exclusive Heidelberg shop. They entered and were at once taken in charge by a salesgirl. They were given chairs, and after Helen had made her wants known, were treated to a mannequin parade. Maybe this place is going to be too expensive after all, Helen said to her chum, while they were not being observed by the salesgirl. I'd much rather dash in where the dresses are on a rack and labeled nothing over sixteen ninety-eight. At last, Helen Corning found a dress of pale blue chiffon, which entirely pleased her. She inquired the price in a timid little voice, and was delighted to find that it was not out of reach. You wait here while I try it on, she told Nancy. It won't take me a minute. After Helen had left, Nancy amused herself by watching the customers who came into the shop. From experience, she had learned that Helen's minutes were usually long ones. Now as the time passed and her chum did not return, she became a trifle restless and after a few minutes got up from her chair. As she moved toward the window, she chanced to glance toward the door and saw a girl enter. Before they could turn aside, they met face to face. To Nancy Drew's surprise, the girl was Mary Mason. For a moment, Nancy was so taken aback that she could only stare. But recovering quickly, she smiled pleasantly. I didn't expect to meet you here, she said graciously. Mary Mason regarded Nancy with a cold stare. Then, without responding, she gave an impudent toss of her head and turned aside. Such insolence, Nancy thought a trifle angrily. One would think she was an heiress instead of a kitchen girl. It was lucky I didn't engage her. Nancy Drew's curiosity had been aroused, and as she waited for Helen, her eyes followed Mary Mason. I suppose she works here, she told herself.
To her surprise, she saw the girl address herself to one of the saleswomen, and it was evident by her actions that she intended to purchase a gown. There's something queer about that, Nancy thought. Surely a girl in her circumstance can't afford to buy dresses at such a place as this. She continued to watch, but Mary Mason, becoming aware that Nancy's eyes were upon her, seemed to grow nervous. After a few minutes, she left the store without having made a purchase. I'm sure she intended to buy a dress, but she knew I was watching her, Nancy reasoned. Just at that moment, Helen emerged from the dressing room and came over to where Nancy was standing. I'm sorry to have kept you waiting so long, but... Nancy cut her short by clutching her by the arm. Come to the window, she commanded. Wonderingly, Helen obeyed. See that girl? Nancy pointed toward Mary Mason, who was crossing the street. Did you ever see her before? Why, her face does look familiar. Let me see. Oh, now I remember. She applied at our house for work in the kitchen. You didn't hire her? No, we didn't like her looks, and the position had already been filled. She must have called it your house after she left mine, Nancy said. I'd like to know if she finally found a place. I shouldn't be surprised, Nancy. She asked me if I knew of a place and I suggested that she might find work at Lilac Inn. They're nearly always looking for help there. Lilac Inn, Nancy repeated thoughtfully. Yes, I don't know whether she went or not. I'll make it my business to find out. Why, what's it all about anyway? Nancy Drew ignored the question, asking one of her own. Tell me, do you remember what day it was this girl called at your home? Oh, dear. It was several days ago. I don't believe I can remember. It wasn't the day of the robbery, was it? Why, I believe it was, Nancy. I recall now that I read the account in the paper that evening. She studied Nancy curiously. Gracious, you surely don't believe this girl had any connection with the robbery, do you? It doesn't seem to me she would have the brains to get away with it. Probably not, Nancy agreed but the clue is worth investigating. I don't see that you have a thing to go on. I haven't, Nancy admitted. What makes you suspicious? Nancy Drew glanced quickly about to see that there was no one standing nearby and lowered her voice. Doesn't it strike you as odd that a girl in Mary Mason's position can afford to buy gowns at Heidelberg's? Yes, it does, Helen agreed promptly. Where do you suppose she got the money? That's just what I intend to find out. With that, Nancy Drew dropped the subject, and no amount of coaxing would induce her to bring it up again. Though to herself, she said, Oh dear, one more vague clue to clutter up my mind and to make more difficult the following of any trail. This is your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we continue to listen to Nancy Drew and the mystery at Lilac Inn. You can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. 
I'll talk to you again soon.